dead people don't have any secrets. In fact, really sick people don't have any secrets. This is Death, Sex, and Money. I don't give a damn if he's sick or well or dead or alive. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. I did it because you are a slut. And need to talk about more. Petrodollars, electrodollars, rubles. I'm Anna Sale. The first few texts that came to my husband's phone were just kind of confusing. And then it became more insistent. Where are you? Why are you not responding to me? This is Amanda. That's not her real name. She first told us this in an email, but asked us to change all the names in this story to protect her family. I did a internet search for the number, realized I knew who it was. I wrote back and said, this is Sam's wife. He can't respond to you now. He's in the hospital. Please don't text anymore. And at what point was that in in Sam's coma? He had been in the hospital at that point for maybe three days. I talked with Amanda where she works on the East Coast. She's in her 40s now. She was 27 when she got married to her husband, who was several years older. He was the most interesting person that I had ever met. And it was almost like he had tried to do, live his life a different way. And that was incredibly attractive for someone like me who grew up with Sunday school and vacation to the shore and everything was very routine. And I was just enchanted by that, the idea that there was a different option. How do you remember those early years of your marriage? A learning curve. I think Sam had already done a lot of his growing up, and I had to catch up to him. Three years into their marriage, Amanda and Sam became parents without really deciding to do it. Amanda was on the pill when she got pregnant. Then about halfway into the pregnancy, we found out it was two instead of one. (laughs) Two babies. Yeah. Did it feel like you were a team when the two babies came along? No. Oh, no. My husband was severely displaced by the arrival of two infants. And I remember at one point... The children could not have been much more than a month old. They're both screaming their heads off. And I am trying to nurse one and give the other one a bottle. And my husband was upset about something. And I raised my voice in like the harshest tone I had ever used with him and said, these are the children. They cannot take care of themselves. You are an adult. You're going to have to handle this yourself. You still get a a kind of indignant look on your face when you think back to that moment. Not surprised. I was pretty indignant. Were you angry at him? Yeah. I was angry with him for not knowing what to do. For not knowing how to help me. And it was about this time that I realized 
he doesn't know how to help me. And then it became, I don't think he can help me. I'm always going to be the stronger one here. So that's quite a shift from how you saw him when you fell in love. Right. About two years after the twins were born, Sam found a lump in his groin. That's when he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Did you think it was serious? No. No. We had no reason to think it was serious. This was... um, referred to as a nuisance cancer that very commonly develops in elderly people who have lots of other conditions that are much more serious than the type of cancer that he had. Did it change your marriage at all to have him diagnosed with cancer? No, it did not change. It certainly didn't change the things it should have changed. There were so many things that we should have done, and we did none of them. Like what? Starting with a will would have been nice. Sam didn't have any symptoms after his diagnosis, and his doctors said they'd rather keep monitoring him than do any immediate treatment. But they did tell him his cancer wasn't ever going to go away. That was a big deal when he finally absorbed the word incurable. In retrospect... Do you think he changed any of the the ways that he lived? I believe that was the tipping point when he heard that this is incurable and it is going to shorten your life expectancy. He went to this place of living his life in secret and not sharing anything about how he was feeling or what he was doing with me. And I was none the wiser. A year and a half went by. The twins were just about to start preschool. Sam continued to seem healthy. So neither he nor Amanda thought much of it when he came down with what he thought was the flu. Then Sam got worse, quickly. The first thing that he did was he called me by our daughter's name. He, uh couldn't tell you what day it was. He couldn't tell you what year it was. He couldn't tell you who the president was. So it had progressed pretty rapidly. What happened? The cancer had spread. It had entered his spinal column and moved up into his brain. Amanda took him to the hospital, where Sam eventually lost consciousness. She spent most of her time at his bedside, pitching in to help the doctors and nurses whenever she could. Somewhere in my brain, I'd put together this, if I understand everything that's happening to him, then I'll be able to fix this. And so I was very hands-on in the hospital room, caring for him. I didn't stand on the sideline in any way. And you had his phone with you? I did. I had his mobile phone because mine was, you know, intermittently working. And boy, there were a lot of calls coming and going those first few days. So that's why I had his cell phone rather than using mine. And you said he had secrets? There were a lot of secrets. The primary one that I discovered 
when I had his mobile phone is that he was having an affair. Do you think your um, focus on being so involved in his care was related to that idea that you could show him that there was sort of a murder thing happening? I wouldn't have said martyr. I have no desire to be a martyr. I so desperately wanted to be acknowledged for what I was doing, for what I'd given up. Did you tell anyone about the affair? I told my mother. And she told my father. When did you tell your mother? When I started getting the texts. She knew while Sam was in the hospital what he had done. Your husband was in a coma, but did you say anything to him? About that, no. We'll talk about that when you wake up. The only thing that I did in that time that I wish I had not done was with whatever lousy camera was on that early flip phone, I took a picture of him in his hospital bed. Yeah, tubes coming out everywhere in this utterly dependent state. And I planned to show it to him after he was out of the hospital and say, do you see this? This is how sick you were, and I was there, and I took care of you. But this is where you were. But Amanda never got to show Sam that picture. He died less than two weeks later. Coming up, how Amanda mourned her husband while confronting the fallout from his secrets. Two or three weeks after he died... I was taking a shower fairly late at night, and I just started wailing in a way that I had not done in the hospital, that I had not done in the services. Just the enormity of what had happened finally settled in. Amanda's story about infidelity is just one of the many we've gotten in our email inbox. Since we put out our episode about cheating about a year ago, they've continued to come in. This voice memo is from just a few weeks ago. You completely are in love with this human and there's... (laughs) You're helpless in a sense and you take steps back and you say to yourself, you know, what am I doing? This listener has been seeing a married man for more than two years. She still is, so she asked that we not use her name. I find myself throwing tantrums at the thought of him going home on the weekends and spending the weekend with them, even though they're his family. And I think that ultimately this will come to a head. How, I'm not certain yet, because... um, She doesn't know about me. And if she does find out, then she'll find out through his carelessness, which he isn't, ever. 
He erases every text. He even erases my name from his incoming and outgoing call log. (laughs) Which, you know, makes me feel like shit. Makes me feel like shit. If you've got a story you want to share about anything, you can always email us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. And if you missed our episode about cheating or just want to listen again, you can find it on our website or on iTunes. Also, I want to tell you about a brand new podcast from WNYC Studios. It's called Two Dope Queens, and it's hosted by comedians Phoebe Robinson and Jessica Williams, who you might know from The Daily Show. Their podcast is really funny. You can hear a preview of it at the end of this episode, so keep listening. On our next episode... Something was definitely wrong. The car hit me. Before I knew it, it was pulling me under. I was seriously contemplating suicide. I figured that this was it. Your stories about when you almost died and what happened after. You'd like to think you get some kind of enlightenment out of it, but not really. Not for me, anyway. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that. 
in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. After Amanda's husband died, rapidly and unexpectedly, she was left with her two children and the knowledge that her husband had been sleeping with someone else. What was that like in the days, in first weeks after his death, when people are offering their condolences and saying nice things about your husband who's just died. Oh, Lord, it is so hard. It is so awful. It's awful, it's awful, it's awful. Because you have to maintain the illusion and just because somebody's dead doesn't mean they're a saint, except in this case, my husband really was, like, very well liked and you know, was like the go-to guy to get things done. And he was this lively, engaging person and everybody really liked him. So you had loads of people who were genuinely torn up and so sad that he was gone and wanted to share this with me. Because now you've got to be this plate for everybody else's feelings about your dead husband. You don't get around to your feelings until maybe a year or two after the funeral. Did a wave of of anger about the affair hit you after his death? Yeah. Things got really messy after that. Things were really bad. The anger I had was primarily directed towards the woman he'd had the affair with. Why do you think? Well, you can't blame the dead guy. So I wanted her to hurt. Because, oh my gosh, this hurt that I was now enduring, having to bury him, and having to raise our children without him, Oh, I wanted her to know what that was like. Did you have any interaction with her? No, no. I had maybe a few crackpot schemes to extract revenge, but nothing that ever would have made any sense. So I never acted on anything. I had a piece of paper and in a pencil I drew a line on it I guess maybe like a six inch line and I said I'm going to give myself this line 
But this is where I am right now. I'm at a full six inches worth of anger. And as I start to let go of that, I'm just going to erase a little bit of the line. And when that whole line is gone, I don't get to be angry about this anymore. Just take a little bit of that line off. And gradually the line, it just got shorter and shorter and shorter. And one day it was gone. And I'm like, okay, I don't get to be angry about this anymore. The line's erased. How long did that take? Probably about six months. Where did you keep the paper? I kept it in my wallet, folded up. And I unfolded. It was so worn by the time I'd taken it out and unfolded. And sometimes I just look at it, you know, how angry am I? Oh. Okay. And I never redrew the line. I have to say, I never redrew the line. It was when you've let go of it, it's gone for good. So don't erase it if you aren't really letting it go. As time went on, Amanda says she became less angry when she remembered her husband and more sad. I think I probably understood why he did it better than he did. Why do you say that? With the arrival of the children, that certainly diverted a lot of my attention. You know, my career had now moved into the executive level, basically out-earning my husband by a factor of two. So, you know, there was a lot going on. And it's really easy for somebody who is easily distracted, as my late husband was, very easily distracted by the shiny and the new, to move on to something that's a lot shinier and a lot newer than I was at that point. But there were still other secrets to deal with. Amanda says after her husband's death, she discovered that he'd been spending money in ways she didn't know about. A lot of money. So, yeah, we were utterly broke. I had to borrow money from my folks to uh, take care of his death expenses. Um, Through some Hail Mary bit of paperwork that his employer did, I was also able to get a small annuity. And it turns out that even my employer had a small uh, life insurance policy for family members. So all of these little dibs and dabs come together and you just start rebuilding. You just start rebuilding from scratch. Did you keep working full time? I did. I had a really good assistant. She said that for the first six months that uh, that I was widowed, that I would come in and she'd check on me like about 30 minutes after I arrived. And I would just be staring at the monitor. And she'd say, okay. Here are the two things you have to do today. You are the only person who can do these two things. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do those now. Like, okay. 
And that's how I got through the first, probably about the first six months. Roles were totally reversed. That is a good assistant. (laughs) I was really lucky. She's pretty amazing. So Amanda slowly rebuilt her finances and got used to being a single mom. I took a solid two years off (laughs) of any kind of relationship um, after I was widowed because I realized there was a lot of work I needed to do on myself, that I was not fit for public consumption. (laughs) (laughs) So I took a long time to just, uh, you know, settle, sit with myself for a while. And after that, it was, yes, I would like to meet somebody. Amanda started online dating. That's how she met Frank, a single father. That's not his real name either. Frank is very different. And I learned a lot in my first marriage. And my second marriage was done with very careful consideration and a much better understanding of who I am and what's important to me and how we will pull together as a couple. There's a great deal of benefit of getting married at 40 as opposed to getting married at 27. What kind of conversations did you have about cheating and monogamy when you were getting together with Frank? It's the only deal breaker that I am aware of Frank having. Hmm. It is the deal breaker. And having gone through what I went through, I was surprised that this is not as comforting as one may think it should be. You'd think, you know, after having gone through what I went through with my first husband, that I'd want the security of knowing that this man will always be faithful to me. But there's something that's difficult about that? There is something difficult about having any kind of limit placed on your personal behavior. There's something very... uh, You don't want somebody else telling you what to do, even if it's something that you agree is totally the right and best choice to make just the the idea that it's someone else has imposed that on you is hard to take so it was i look at it this way it was my choice to accept those terms but i'll never know if my first marriage would have survived i'll never know sam died our contract was null and void the minute that happened. I'll never know if we would have survived or not. Amanda and Frank are now raising their kids together, and she says it's been years since she Googled the woman who had the affair with her first husband.
Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios. The team includes Katie Bishop, Chester Jesus Soria, Emily Botin, Hannah McCarthy, and Rick Kwan. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. And remember, keep listening to hear a preview of the new podcast from WNYC Studios called Two Dope Queens. That's coming up. Do you think you will ever tell your children about your husband's affair? I don't know. Children grow up to become adults. They're not always children, and they become much more capable of understanding that their parents are people too. For now, we still maintain Daddy was a wonderful person who loved you very much. Because that part isn't a lie. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. I'm about to lose control on this podcast, and I think I like it. Hey, guys. Phoebe Robinson over here. And Jessica Williams over here. We want to tell you about our new podcast, Two Dope Queens from WNYC Studios. Okay, so the first thing you need to know is that this is a comedy podcast recorded live in Brooklyn. Brooklyn! It kicks off each week with me and Phoebe on stage, doing what we do, talking about all the crazy stuff we're up to. Like, um, how Phoebe keeps trying to get me to go on sex journeys that I am definitely not ready for. Ugh, girl, you need to loosen up. But we don't just talk about men or sex or getting it in all the time. We also talk about that real shit, like our careers. Or like just trying to get a goddamn picture framed at the craft store when you're black. And so I show up to get the frame, and it's completely empty in the frames department. And um, and there's these two employees working, like, behind the desk. And, like, Mm -hmm. they're not saying anything to me at first. And I'm like, it's totally fine. It's New York. I get it. Like, you're going to ignore me for a really long time. It's okay. And then this white lady comes up. And before she even gets to the counter, they immediately start helping her. And I was like, oh, wow. So you unzipped. You unzipped a little bit. I go, you know what? I'm going to not go crazy black lady. I'm going to go inner white lady customer service. That's how you do it. This is unacceptable. (laughs) (laughs) That I had to wait. I don't understand what the problem is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that made me mad. Anyway, then we bring up the funniest people in the comedy world for some stand-up and some storytelling. I wanted to share this thing that my girlfriend and I have been doing. Um, we we role-play. Like, uh, the other night we were playing Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. But here's the, here's the twist. She was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. I was Deputy Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. So there was that, there was that status thing. She was my boss, and I, I didn't feel she was pushing her agenda hard enough. I was like, did, did we come to Washington to make friends? Like, we came to make changes. And I was like, oh my God, this is the one. Like, we're going to move in together. We're going to live by the mall. And he came to visit me in New York one time, and both the cell phones were on the bed, and they were exactly alike. And it rang, and I picked it up, and this girl was on the other end. She goes, Is Eric there? And I go, Who this? 
And she go, who this? And I go, who this? This went on for a real long time. Cause we knew who the fuck this was. And that's just a taste of what you're going to hear on Two Dope Queens. Don't miss out. Subscribe on iTunes right now or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh my God, I just got so excited. I just got chills and this is a really hot room. That's because you're in it. Ah. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.